Hey everyone, In the House Podcast. Today we have a very special guest. We have Arturo J.J. Rivera. Now, J.J., as everybody likes to call him, J.J. is a carpenter uh, that I'm currently working with on a uh, project here in Austin, Texas. So I wanted to get him on specifically to talk about how he got into the carpentry trade, what his background is in, and what were his interests as a kid. JJ has experience as both the project manager and the trade. So he gives a really unique perspective as, you know, being the tip of the spear. And I get some really valuable feedback from him as far as what things work in the field and and what things don't. So we're able to talk about ways that project managers can help eliminate some mistakes in the field. You know, what works and what doesn't. Later on in the episode, we talk about JJ's wrestling career and how he got into all that. Uh, I would say sit back and relax and enjoy a beer, but I know a lot of y'all listen to this podcast on your way into work. So don't do that. But I hope you do enjoy the podcast. If you do, share with a friend, subscribe, give us five stars. Hope you enjoy the episode. Well, JJ, thanks for uh, coming on. I, I appreciate your time. Anytime, man. Yeah, no I'm uh, uh, trying to crack one of these beers open. Yeah. Um, dude, I'm I'm a little curious about the beer that you brought. You you brought some sour <laughs> sour pickle beer. I've never seen that before. You know, I've seen. Uh, I think it's up by Dallas. The best made pickle. The guys that make that. But there's one I really like out of San Antonio called Puro Pickles. That one's really good, and after like working out or doing CrossFit and it's super hot, yeah. it's just like the pickle beer is like the best thing. It's like rehydrating, and it's beer, and it's fantastic. Do you do CrossFit? I quit CrossFit to do wrestling. <laughs> yeah, well, I knew you did the wrestling, which I want to I want to get into later. But um, no, I'm I'm glad I'm glad you saw the light and decided that. That's good. Cheers to you, buddy. This is actually really good. Is it? All right. Yeah. All right. Give me, give me one. I want to try one, dude. And then you brought some uh, uh, Danny Trejo Cerveza. Oh, I'm sure that was really loud in the microphone. Sorry about that. Uh, well, yeah. I saw it on the shelf, and I was like, I can't not buy Danny Trejo Cerveza. Because you have to. He's it's Danny Trejo. It's Danny Trejo. His restaurants are amazing. His food is delicious. Oh, man. Are you sure this is... Hmm. My mindset was, I'm going to buy these weird beers. What a mercy. <laughs> if, you, if I don't like them, you get to sit here and watch me choke them down anyway. Dude, I'm not a quitter. I'm gonna, <laughs> that's a straight up just pickle. Just pickle juice and beer. It's amazing. That's, I'm into it. Okay. Well, as long as you like it. My wife tells me I have horrible taste in beer because it's either like... Yeah, I agree. <laughs> you like IPA? I hate IPAs. Oh, okay. Well, that's okay, okay. good for you. I either drink Mexican like Modelo or cheap beers... Or like Guinness and Porters usually. Nice. That's I, it. I love like a good stout. Mm-hmm. Guinness, uh, Porter, 100%. I'm there with you. You can't see through it. I'm, I'm all there. Like nice black, mm-hmm. dark, thick beer. Good yeah, stuff. I just don't like IPAs. I just think this... It's I've a got, potpourri. Yeah, I, I'm that person that's like, oh, it tastes like grass cuttings. That's how I feel. Yes, about 100%. It. I don't understand the people who, who like those. <laughs> that's it. But anyway, so let's talk. Let's talk about you. That's what we're really here to do. <laughs> Me. We're, we're going to talk about you. So, um, so you're a carpenter. Mm-hmm. Um, at the moment, yeah. At the moment, how, how did you how did you get into that? You want the full long long story? Well, okay. So, I guess yeah. Let's start at the beginning because I, <laughs> I know you've got quite the history. So, mm-hmm. so you you start wherever you want. I mean, just give me your your story. So. Okay, I'll try to make this concise, and feel free to jump in at any time. All right, all right. So, um, yeah, right now I'm doing fine carpentry, um, you know, working with uh, uh, Cortez Custom Woodworks and Patrick and those guys, because that's where I met you. But I've always been a builder, like, as a kid. And growing up, my whole goal in life, you know, when you're, like, in first grade, they're like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I was like, I'm going to be an architect. Really? That was my mentality. Like, I wanted to be an architect. Nice. So... In gearing up for that, I mean, I was always just a kid that worked with my hands, but I was kind of a latchkey kid, so I built stuff in the garage all the time. Nobody really just supervised me. I just built stuff. Yeah. 
Um, then I got to high school and I was like, oh, I'm going to take cabinet making and woodworking. So I've been in woodworking forever. So they had that at your high school? My high school was really cool. It actually had that stuff. It had CAD and architectural intro. Really? Yeah, I took uh, at least three cabinet making classes. And it was actually the, the teaching assistant um, for like another That's kind of refreshing to hear that there was a cabinet making class mm-hmm. in high school. And a CAD class. Where, so where did you where did you grow up? Um, Iowa, a little town called Muscatine, right okay. on the Mississippi River. So I'm a Midwest guy. I'm like, you build stuff, you do stuff. Yeah. Right yeah. Outside. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, but yeah, so I basically tried to gear my whole life to, towards architecture, to being an architect. Yeah. Then I got to college and I was like, going to Iowa State University, I'm going to be an architect. Mm-hmm. I got in, got accepted, did the whole thing. I hated it. <laughs> what, what turned you off to architecture? It's not that it wasn't cool and fun, but I really, I'm going to say something controversial, but but it might've just been like the place where I was at was, it was just the, 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 the vibe. I just didn't like the vibe of that school where I was at in terms of the architecture program. Uh, What does that mean? I had some situations with like some teachers where I just felt like they they were being a little snobby or stuck up and, you know. Mm a little arrogance in how they design and present and stuff. Not to say they weren't really good at what they do, Yeah. but I, it just, I didn't like it. And I kept finding myself, as the more I worked with architects, the more, uh, I just got that vibe and it, and it wasn't, you know, what I was looking for. Okay. <laughs> so that, that kind of snobbiness turned you off to the industry as a whole, just because it, well, not, I wouldn't not, say the industry, not but, to the whole but industry. just to that path, I guess. Cause you, did you were you worried that that was going to be you? Like you were going to turn into that? Kind of. I yeah. think so. It's like, I was just like, I didn't want to be that guy that looks at somebody's drawings and goes, I don't like that. Yeah. And then being like, well, why? Like, I just don't. You should listen to me because I said I don't like that. Right. <laughs> and I agree. That's not all architects. But that was just my history in growing up. So at the time, I was like really looking at what architecture was. And while I did enjoy architecture, like I studied abroad. I did this. I looked at, you know. I, that's what I wanted to be. I really got to a point where I wanted to get into something that was more intimate to the human experience. And yeah. while what I mean by that is like you can walk into a building and you know you might remember the chair and the dinette set and like the experience of this this small room that we're sitting in now yeah. versus like walking into a, a hallway. Sure. It's like kind of a macro design and environment to micro design the things that you actually interact with right. and come in contact with so ultimately it kind of got to the point where like man I love woodworking ultimately I was like hey I should be a furniture designer mm-hmm. I should build and design furniture so I switched over to interior design or interior architecture which at Iowa State had a really good accredited program that they covered lighting design they covered you know uh, ergonomics they covered this uh, and so it was actually a really good fit hmm. so I actually graduated school with an interior design degree uh, I and after that I went straight into museum work for children's museums. How, so how did you get from interior design? Like what <clears throat> what got you into the museum? Well, I was kind of lucky because, and you know, you and I in passing have kind of talked about this a little bit, but yeah, I was already a guy that liked to work with my hands. <clears throat> yeah, and I was like, and I, and I went to school and I learned the, the the design aspect of a lot of stuff. So I was like, oh man, design build is the where it's at. Like to be able to think of some crazy thing and make it actually tactile. Like, you know, you spin, it's done. And so I found a job at the uh, Denver Children's Museum. Sorry, the Children's Museum of Denver. As in, oh, yeah? That's an awesome children's museum. Yeah. Fantastic. I did a lot of work there. That's cool. I worked there for 14 years. <laughs> wow. Um, no. 10 years. A couple of years on a contract after that. <laughs> what did you, So what did you do there? Well, the thing is, is I got the position I got was exhibit designer. Okay. So I was designing and fabricating the exhibits. Like mm-hmm. it was my job to not only design it, put it together. It was also my job to build it, and then after that, maintain it. Like, well, we had other people that I was like, oh, this is the maintenance package for the whole thing. So you have to kind of think about it in terms of like, you know, cradle the grave for an entire exhibit. That's crazy. Yeah, it was really cool. That is super cool. Right. And and plus, I mean, there's the added bonus of you know, kids get to enjoy it. Parent, parents and kids. I mean, heck. I mean, I've, I've been there as a parent, and even the, the adults are sort of enamored by all the, you know, the mechanics and the inner workings of things and getting being able to interact with it. And How long ago were you there? Oh, it, I mean, it had to have been 
maybe two or three years ago. Okay. So by that point, they had the entire, um, they did the exterior exhibit. I forget the name, uh, the Mariposa, I think, or I can't remember the actual name of the, of the expansion. But mm-hmm. they had the exterior uh, playground area, right? Like there's yeah. all this climbing structure and stuff yes. outside. Yes. Yeah, I did a lot of the uh, front end development of a lot of that stuff. God dang, dude, that's super cool. <laughs> I had idea. Well, okay, yeah, that's there's a lot I guess to to go in. Where do you start? Is it kind of a you have a blank slate, like kind of an empty building, or I mean, I, I assume there's stuff already there. Like, where where do you start with an exhibit, and you know what's the thought process kind of that goes into that? Well, I mean, like anything else, it's a lot of those buildings are nonprofit, right? Right. So there's a lot, a lot of thought into you basically say, if, if you're walking into an exhibit that's, or sorry, a museum that's already established, you go, okay, you know, what are our, our stars here? What are not our stars here? Where are we hitting like good benchmarks? Yeah. Um, and there's a couple of different ways to think about an exhibit. One is, was your educational theory? And are you actually doing what you said that exhibit's supposed to do? Yeah. By that, I mean, like, you know, a lot of museums are different. And the Children's Museum of Denver, um, at one point, was like, we were very much on the developmental stages of uh, Vygotsky and Piaget and things like that. So childhood development psychology. Okay. And you'd look at it and be like, okay, yeah, we are actually getting this. We are getting that. or We aren't getting this. So you can look at it and, like, literally do some paperwork and some research in your own museum to be like, we are actually doing this, what we said we we're going to do. If it's yeah. not, then why are you even having that exhibit? Right. A. B, wear out. You know, like things wear out, materials mm-hmm. wear out. You know, you might be limping a museum, I mean, exhibit long for years and years and years, and I might just be like, we shouldn't have built this this way. We need to redo it. Yeah. So it's like, okay, A, is it a star? If it is, cool, we'll keep it. Maybe we'll renovate it once in a while. Um, if it's not, then is there something better we could do? Yeah. So then basically, when you look at it, a proper if you're not going for a major capital expansion a lot of nonprofit children's museums will be like okay you just have this like rotating cycle to keep yourself fresh so like this exhibit is our oldest one we're either going to tear it down and put in a new exhibit in two years three years so you constantly have this every year you're opening up something new and cool right to bring people back in mm-hmm. um, other museums will have a traveling exhibition hall where you rent like the Blue Man Group or this hmm. or okay. Dora the Explorer and that's like every summer you have an event or every you know quarter you have a new event. Yeah. But the ones I worked in, we were of that mindset of trying to, for the most part, do a new exhibit like every year, at least a big new exhibit every year. Okay. So some of those things we, we researched for years. Right, um, right. I did almost three and a half, four years of research into bubbles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember the the bubble thing. So, yeah, I mean, I assume did you build that? Yeah, like the th- you you stand in it and you're kind of in this ring and then you pull the rope or chain and yeah. it comes up around you and yeah, I did all those things. <laughs> That's super cool. I man. did the original versions of all that. I mean, obviously they've redone them over the years to keep them maintained and stuff. But yeah, I did the um, the bubble trumpet. I called it that drops smoke bubbles from the ceiling. Uh, That's the first time I, nobody's really done that. If that was still working, the bubble table that had like air that flowed and fog like, injecting into the bubbles. Uh, yeah, I came up with that one. And um, how, how do you, how do you come up with this? I'm a giant child. That's <laughs> right. You got to be kind of a child at heart. Right. And that's the best part about like I really love museum work because yeah. I got to play a lot. <laughs> that's, that's true. That does seem stuff. like yeah. You're just I don't want to say messing around like is it a ba- in a bad way, but like you're just playing and experimenting and. Um, is, is there like a, how, how do you test it? Is there's no like focus group or anything, right? Yeah. Or is, is there is focus group? So at, in Denver, we uh, actually created a focus room. A call, um, oh. To try to see like what things kids engage with and. It's probably not still there anymore, but we actually created an entire space. Uh, I think it was called Willowworks. Yeah. Willowworks. Hmm. Uh, and all that was, was an area for prototyping. And so we would prototype stuff in there. I had some video cameras in there. There was signage outside that said you will be, you know, observed. Yeah, yeah. We had some two-way mirror or one-way, two-way mirrors. What's it called? Uh, uh, I guess it's a one-way way where it only allows you to see through yeah. one. one but, way? Well, we could sit back there and record and have audio. Yeah. So we could actually sit there and watch how people interact with stuff. Mm. And for me, every time I try to do a design exhibit, not that I'm the greatest designer ever, but I was always like, if I can get the parent engaged then the kid 
will be engaged because mm. nine times out of ten, parents get bored and they're on their phone and they're like, oh, come on, let's just go to the next thing. Let's go to the next thing. I'm sick of sitting here. It's kind of unfortunate, but yeah, it's you're unfortunate, right. But it's true. Yeah, it is true. Phones are. I don't want to get off topic, but <laughs> good lord, yeah, phones, phones, and social media are just huge time wasters. And it's like it's a tool if you if you use it as a tool, it can be a tool. But you know, it, it's also just a major distraction, and it's oh, unfortunate yeah. that you see a lot of parents. And I really try not to be that parent that's just. Just face in my phone and not paying attention to my kids. Mm-hmm. Like, no, put put the phone away. Leave it in the car. Even like you don't need it. Just mm-hmm. leave it in the car. Be with your kids. Enjoy the time. Um, anyway, I don't want to get off topic. But you well, know, I, mean, I, I thought I was gonna finish this. This, <laughs> this is disgusting. I am not gonna. It's straight up pickle juice in a can. I can drink one. You can take it home with you. Okay, I'll give it to someone. Um, this, <laughs> this is gross. I don't play it. It's I'm gonna fun. go back to my shine. <laughs> but, but, okay. um, but even in that sense, like you know, uh, if you can catch the parents' attention mm-hmm. and keep them engaged, then you got you got the kid because the parent will extend that stay of that kid's interaction with that experience. Yeah. So, yeah, if you can get a parent, you got the kid. Dang. But so then, like I said, is like so you develop something over the course of a couple of years, you research it, try stuff out, break it. That was our approach to it in, in Denver. It was an awesome and fun approach. That's super cool. And <clears throat> did you know, like, I guess when you were getting your interior design degree, that that's kind of the track that you were, what was your, what was your thought while you were going through college? What was your thought of as far as how you imagined your career shaping out? From <laughs> Honestly, in college, I was like the best thing I could imagine is having a wood shop, building furniture that's yeah. super high end, and having rich clientele that buys my fancy, fancy furniture. And that's yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> Modern fancy furniture. <laughs> the woodworker's dream. But yeah, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, I fell into museums by accident, and really? it stuck for a very, very long time. Yeah. So, I mean, I can see why. That's <clears throat> super attractive. I mean, well, that's the thing awesome. is, I think I told you is like when I talk to people. Um, I, I hate to say it, but it sounds like I'm bragging about stuff a lot because they're like, oh, no, we need to do, we need to weld this stuff up. I'm like, I know how to weld. I'm like, oh, cool. We need to do like some, some hydraulics and pumps. Like, I built some water exhibits. I know about plumbing. They're like, oh, you need to like, you need to make some like. Some, Shut up, JJ. Yeah. It's like, you need to do something with LEDs. I'm like, I, I love LEDs. I was a lighting designer. <laughs> so it's just like, it has got me this like really cool experience of like, I've built stuff. Have gone to machining and you know drafting design, 3D design, AutoCAD, you know fusion. I've done so many weird things. It's, it's the museum will provide that for me, and that was a really good drug for me. What What are some other exhibits that you that are of note that that you can remember? Let's see. Well, the bubbles exhibit was one of my well, a really fun one. Um, we did rocket works um, where you build pneumatic rockets, you pump them up, uh, yeah, you shoot yeah. them across the sky and stuff. I did a bunch of traveling exhibits. Like the Blue Man Group was not anything I produced, but it was really fun to work on. Oh, um, really? Yeah. Just because it was, I got to meet the Vegas Blue Man Group people and they came and they're all like 12 years old. And <laughs> like, there's like 20 crews and there's like oh. a whole bunch of crews of Blue Men because there's, you know, a, 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 they have residency in Asia and Vegas and whatever. So there's a whole bunch of crew of Blue Men. I, know, I don't know anything about Blue Man Group. <laughs> Were they blue? Yeah, did, totally. You've never seen a Blue Man Group? Well, I've seen Blue Man Group, but when you met them, were they blue? They were sad. They were, they were sad? <laughs> no. <laughs> that process. Oh, I get it. That's that sorry. process. I'm stupid. I'm, I'm very slow, if you can. <laughs> that process is horrendous to watch those kids go through it. Like, the bald cap, the, the blue. I didn't know they were kids. Well. Are they? I guess they're not kids anymore. They're all over the dip, but the, the crew that I met were all, like, very, very young collegiate percussionists. Hmm. And that makes total sense, okay. right? They're like the drumline kids became Bluemaker, which makes total sense. Hey, well, good for them. Right. They're freaking making money. Yeah. That's, sure. <laughs> That's cool. Um, but uh, another cool one was when we got when I got to uh, Portland, which is when I went to Portland after Denver, um, became the director of exhibits at the uh, Portland Children's Museum, was Outdoor Adventure, which was 
Mm. Exactly trying to fight what you were about, kind of talking about with the phones. It was like, we want to get people outside. We want to get kids outside. Yeah, yeah. Place to roam. Build things with trees and sticks and forts and whatever and water. Um, and it was trying to do that in an environment in almost like somewhat inner city Portland where kids don't always have that experience. How long were you in Portland? Four and a half years, I want to say. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How's it like over there? It's exactly like Austin except worse weather. Oh, right. At least at the time it was. <laughs> yeah, it's probably a lot worse. Than uh, but yeah, it was getting a little gritty when I, when we left. And uh, yeah, I met my my wife there, and we ended up moving here to Austin because she got a job with Yeti. So we're oh cool. What, yeah. she, what does she do for Yeti? IT. Or she did do worked for Yeti. Oh okay. Um, she got um, she was working for Daimler up in Vancouver, Portland area. What? So Daimler is uh, Daimler. they own Mercedes. They own a Freightliner. Yeah. Uh, okay. So she's a corporate person, and I was the non-profiteer. Yeah. <laughs> so That's good. she's a, she's the corporate badass, and I'm like, look at these pretty colors. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, Dang. so yeah. So when she got a job offer for Mitty, like we packed up, moved down here, and that's where that got us here. What did What did you do once you got here? You know, for a minute, because well, what when was that? Do you remember the year? Six years ago. No. It's now 2024, so take that into your calculations. Seven years ago. Okay. Mm -hmm. There you go. We literally, she got a job offer when Yeti was just popping, popping, popping. And they're like, we need you down here in three weeks. And we're like, oh. All right. This is an opportunity. We're we're leaving. Bye, guys. We're out. And so we just kind of bounced. I guess that's about when I got here, too. I think we've been here about about seven seven or eight years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <coughs> so you get to Austin, mm-hmm. and what do you what do you do? Is that know. when you start to pursue your dream of being a furniture? No, no. Where, <laughs> so where'd you go from there? From there, I actually fell into one of my other loves, which is lighting, and I became a lighting designer for a small small company. When I say small, I'm talking like there was four of us, five. Oh, of us. okay. Um, I did that for about a year until it kind of ended up kind of imploding on itself, <laughs> but. That was really cool because I actually worked on some really cool jobs. I did a, one, a there's a whiskey bar in College Station I did. There's a, a one of the hotels. It's one of the uh, alumni hotels uh-huh. that they came in and they're like, oh, here's a tequila bottle or a whiskey bottle. Yeah. And they're like, we want 10,000 of them hung from the ceiling with LED lighting in them. And I was like, that sounds awesome. So the guy I was working awesome. with, yeah, the guy I was working with put me on that project and I kind of did it soup to nuts in terms of design the layout um you have to send me pictures of these definitely um the whiskey bar was really fun because i was just really happy with it with what it turned out but the first day i walked in there i was looking around and i'm like okay i took measurements and did some you know yeah um just some uh, surveying and stuff and i went back to the, the office and i was like out of curiosity I took a whiskey bottle put it on a scale <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> and i was like times 10 then <laughs> So you guys realize I'm going to hang a Volkswagen bus from that ceiling, right? There's yeah. got to be... And all the architects kind of like email me back like, what? What do you mean? I'm like, where's the structure? There's no structure in this thing. Like, what? <laughs> They're like, what is the structure? And I sent them an email with the calculations of spread over the entire surface area of that. I'm like, yeah. I got to screw something. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of weight. It adds up. No, good call. Yeah, yeah that's that's a smart... Because uh, I'm sure none of those guys uh-huh. even thought about that. Just the sheer weight of all those bottles put together. Well, that's like... Uh, that's and a, the lighting. That's a that's a fixture, right? They're like, oh, it's a, it's a fixture. It's just yeah, yeah, after yeah. a word. You come in after and you put up a fixture. It's like, it's a fixture that weighs a ton of weight. Like a ton, like yeah. tons. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. I did that for a while. And then after that, I got into this place called Ion Art here in Austin. Ion Art. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, they do neon signs um, and a lot of custom design and fabrication. And... Again, going from like that whole design it and build it. That's kind of where my sweet spots always kind of been. Um, Did you do a lot of things in uh, CAD and a lot of drawing in CAD or? I did growing up. When I got to Ion Art, like all my work has been either Google SketchUp or or Fusion or Libre, you know, whatever it is. I'm a a CAD guy. But uh, with that, I got hired to be the project manager for Kendra Scott. So... I was part of just getting all of her... She was popping at that time. Too. Yeah. She was just like, bam, 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 like five years ago. Yeah. Throwing stores out. Yeah. They were doing about 11 or 12 a year. 
and I was the basically I was the project manager for all of her, their stores. Wow. And I was just constantly surveying, going all over the United States, surveying their storefronts. So we did all their their big gold storefronts. So I helped build and create those. Dang. So yeah, I was just doing project management, and then Island Art. I also became when they started to slow down. They're like, okay, well, JJ's just going to be our design director. I'm like, okay, cool. So I was a design director for a while. And then some changes happened. They're like, oh, well, you can just be our shop foreman. I'm like, okay, now I'm shop foreman. Yeah. <laughs> so I kind of did a whole bunch of stuff there. Wore a bunch of different hats. Yeah. Yeah. And after that, then three years ago at this point, um, I was kind of like, okay, I'm not, there's no real place for me to go from here. Right. So I was like, I'd already done every job in the place. So what do I do? Yeah, it seems like every job almost that exists. So uh, I kind of just, my wife's name is Spank. Like Spank. the term Spank. Like... To spank a child. That's not, that's her real name? No, her name's Ryan, like a boy, but <laughs> we met in Portland playing roller derby, so I've always called her Spank. That's how we met. I'm Nino, she's Spank. We have different <laughs> names. <Yeah>. Nice. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, uh, you know, it was time to leave, and so I left that place, and then turned around and did a bunch of project management for them as a contractor. Uh, for the, for the Ion? Mm-hmm. Okay. Because they were doing this big, um, a festival called not festival but an event called Surreal Sea which uh-huh. is a neon festival we did it down at Zilker Garden uh, okay. a couple years back um, and so I helped them get they'd always kind of done a small one in in their industrial lot that they, that they work out of because uh-huh. the owners of Ion Art also own that lot uh-huh. but uh, we ended up taking it to Zilker and doing it there at the Botanical Garden they were like hey we need some project management so you come back and do that because you know what we're doing I'm like yeah no problem so yeah. Spent six months doing that, and then after that, like, I did pretty well for that year. Just I had like a year, half a year off, basically. Mm-hmm. So then uh, I was like, "What do I do now? What? What's next? I don't know what." Right. Uh, and Patrick. Yeah. How did How did you meet Patrick? CrossFit. Oh, of course. Yeah, he's a big CrossFitter. So yeah, we met at CrossFit. He was just a member of my CrossFit gym, and it was interesting. Um, he actually, I think they'd only been in the country for about a year at that point. Mm. And, you know, we just kind of became buddies at CrossFit and, you know, whatever. Yeah. But basically, it was a situation where it was like, me and my wife wanted to build a tiny house on our property. He's like, I want to not live in this place he was living. And I was like, well, if you help me build a tiny house, you guys can live in it. Mm. And he was like, yeah. So, Patrick, we barely knew each other. Yeah. And he basically helped me build a tiny house on our property. And then him and his wife and Siva, their daughter, who was only about a year old at that time. Uh-huh. She was pretty young. <clears throat> we're living in the tiny house for a while. So, he lived at our house with us for... So, you all lived week. in a tiny house? No. Like, I live in a barn dominium. Oh. So... So, you were in the barn dominium, but you wanted to build a tiny mm-hmm. house. Okay. Because <laughs> my wife, Spank, is, is super into cars. Okay. She's totally into me building stuff and being weird and dude, that's awesome. Yeah. So, but there's no, I'm not gonna say this too loud, but there's no demising wall between my garage and our house. <laughs> it's literally like New York lost style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our house is open to the cars. She can see my table saw. It's all there. It's a big open that's New York a sweet lot. setup. Yeah. It's every hands-on bachelor's dream. That's every man's dream. Yeah. I've had yeah. so many guys come over and be like, no way. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm jealous. But, well, honestly, when we met in Portland, that was kind of one of the deciding things that, like, we knew that we were good together. We were at this anti-Valentine's Day party for a roller derby team. Anti-Valentine's Day. Uh, yeah. It's like, instead of being all hugs and kisses, uh, you get slapped and they yell at you kind of thing. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> That's okay. But we were in this like grungy warehouse. And I'm like looking around as I do because I look at things like, oh, look at that. Right. Look at that crown mulling. That's really cool. And she's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I just really want to live in this place. It's amazing. Right. She's like, no way. <laughs> We'd only been dating a few years, a few months at that point. And we're like, oh, yeah, cool. We had the same vibe. That's so, super cool. But yeah, when we moved down here, that was one of the. We were trying to build the barn dominium. In, in Portland but like there's yeah Austin is now where Portland was when we left like like couldn't find property that was affordable enough and couldn't yeah. do anything so we're like screw it she opened up her job search stuff to Austin and immediately that's when Yeti hit her up yeah bolted but yeah since I'm in Hayes County 
I got to build my barnuminium the way we wanted to. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you really lucked out. And it seems like you got in and it was <clears> a good time before everything really went to hell. <laughs> oh, man. Dude, my, my wife and I barely squeaked by. We, we've been looking for a house ever since we moved here. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, first we rented. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we, but ever since we moved here, we've been looking to buy. And we just, every time we would get outbid. Yeah. Or, you know, somebody somebody just came in with a, you know, a better loan deal or something. or, or Cash or something. Yeah, whatever it was. And we just, every, <laughs> for three or four years, we would, we went through this time and time again. But, I mean, we eventually found something and, and like, right before, uh, I think it was, like, right before COVID, we we bought a house and um because then of course you know a few years later people are there's max exodus coming from california mm-hmm. and other places and a lot of people are moving to austin of course right. interest rates go up and and uh you know land value property value goes up so yeah we really got in in a good time sounds like you did too so ours you know i'm not really a or like a big religious or like the stars align kind of guy, but yeah. the stars kind of really aligned on our property. Mm. It was a total, okay, I'm going to get into this a little bit. It's going to sound weird. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> so I wasn't working at the time when we were trying, we were house hunting to buy our house. Yeah. We wanted to build. So we were looking for property, right? Uh-huh. So one day I just got up, jumped on my motorcycle and saw a couple of listings and rode out and found some listings and looked at this property. And I was like, all right, this is cool. Yeah. Heck yeah. I'm going to say, Spank, we got to go look at this property as soon as you get home. She's like, okay, cool. So she jumped on her bike because I had just taught her how to ride a motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> so we both rode out together and we pull up and I have a, a Triumph and we're sitting there looking at this property and she's like, yeah. And we're standing there and I was like, I looked at this this one building next to us and I'm like, oh, this is a Maharishi community. And she's like, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah, what is that? <laughs> So there was a reason I know this. Like the Maharishi is a transcendental meditative. Uh, I'm going to speak poorly about this, and my neighbors are going to kill me. So I'm probably going to use wrong terminology. But it, it's um, it's a group that they do transcendental meditation. Okay. So they, that's a meditation group, basically. Okay. But it's kind of a. It's not. I won't call it religion, but. It's, it's, a like it's a practice. No, no, it's not a cult. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, uh, my neighbors are going to hear this. They're going to murder me or burn my house down. <laughs> but, um, but the thing is, is I knew that as I saw these spires coming into the, the neighborhood, I was like, these are Maharishi houses. Because they have a very specific look. They have to do things a certain way. Um, to channel energy, I, I think, is what the whole design okay. aspect is okay. to it. Sure. And my sister lives in Fairfield, Iowa, not far from where I grew up. That's where nowhere town of 10,000 people uh-huh. is the Maharishi Community College. Mom, like they have okay. a college. They bought an old college and turned it into their main college. Yeah. So I'm sitting there like, yeah, this is the Maharishi Community. And this little gentleman, little short guy named Roger, who's now one of my really good friends, walks over. He's like, that's a really nice bike. He's got a thick English accent. And I'm like, because he saw the Triumph and he came over to talk to me. We just start talking and I'm like... So what's up? There's a dome here, a meditation dome, like right next to this property that we're looking at. And I'm yeah. like, this is a Maharishi place? And he's like, yes, we are. What do, how do you know? I'm like, oh, I'm from Iowa, I'm from Fairfield. He's like, I went to school in Fairfield. <laughs> There's no world. other college. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like, so I'm talking to all these neighbors. They're like, yeah, JJ's from Iowa. His sister lives in Fairfield. Like this whole thing. Wow. This aligned. And Roger, this sweet man, was just like, I love you guys. You're going to buy my property. I know I'm not supposed to be talking to you because we have real estate agents, but yeah. I'm going to sell you my property. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's super cool. Yeah. So, well, where, like, what is Maharishi, I guess, native to? It's an Indian practice. Okay. I don't know exactly the region, um, things okay. like this, but, uh, but yeah, it's a, uh, it's, it's transcendental meditative community. It's a whole group of people that practice, um, and they follow the teachings of Maharishi, I believe. Is. Interesting. That's so there's this cool. dome yeah. <laughs> next to my house. So this property that we have has a parking lot on it. And so the people uh, with cars yeah. that like cars, we bought a property with a parking lot on it. So we're like, yeah, that's, that's what we wanted. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so yeah, like I said, good. this whole weird cosmic alignment, uh, it was just meant for that us to own that property. We got lucky as hell. 
That's awesome. And Roger, after we brought that property, Roger took off uh, with his money and bought a bought a, uh, a Mercedes Sprinter van and turned it into a van life thing. You know, he's he's traveling. He's not coming back. <laughs> he still owns the, the house across the street, but uh, him and his wife are just carting along. And They're just traveling. I took over. He was doing. Uh, he was the well operator for that community of forty houses. So he also talked me into taking that over for him too. Oh, I think yeah, you yeah. told me about that. That you're the well, yeah, the well guy. Well, you control everybody's water. Forty houses. Jeez, <laughs> I'm the only person in our utility. Basically, yeah. I am the utility. How'd you handle the freeze? Horribly. Yeah. Everybody else did. Okay. <laughs> and you didn't get fired. No. <laughs> the first one, three years ago, caught everybody by surprise. Right. 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 Um, that one blew up our entire well system. Wow. Um, the second one I was prepared for. Right. And like, was it a year ago? Two years? Yeah, yeah, year. sure. We were like climbing up and down. I think it was a year. Yeah. Yeah. The last one. Um, I'd already winterized everything uh-huh. except, except the pipe that ran because it's up a standpipe. The pipe that goes from the bottom of the standpipe up to the top of the standpipe. I, cause it's up. The yeah. side of the pipe. Right, right. The side of the standpipe. And I was like, that's the only thing I didn't do. And that thing froze with an ice plug in it. And I was just like, <sighs> So Christmas Eve, me and Spank are out there trying to make a little like warming tent to heat this pipe up. And I'm climbing up and down and banging it with a hammer. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't tell people this, but we were just like, I had a glass of whiskey as we were doing it. Cause it's Christmas Eve. It's 2 a.m. We're like, you gotta stay warm. Yeah. Like we don't have kids. So we're just like, what else are we going to do? Just sit at home and watch movies? This is kind of fun. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So, okay. So you met Patrick, who's who also <laughs> works for uh, Cortez Carpentry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Patrick German, man. Patrick the German. <laughs> oh, you realize his, you know his last name is Deutschman, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Deutschman. I still have him in my phone as German man. I just have Patrick the German, and I have German, <laughs> German flags that pop up. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you, so you, you meet him at your CrossFit. You, you, you build a tiny house. Is, is that kind of your entry into carpentry? Kind of. Like he's yeah. like, hey JJ, you work with me and Jorge. We need help. Yeah. Like for a handful of months, he's like, come work with us. We need help. He's like, I know you can do this work because, you know, I. I just attention to detail. I've been able to do that kind of work. Yeah, and yeah. the thing is, is like I was like resistant as hell, actually, to the whole thing. I was like, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do construction. Don't want to do construction. Why not? I mean, I, well, I think I got a really bad taste in my mouth from working on all those Kendra Scott projects. Oh, which is, which is yeah. an eight-week commercial turnaround. Okay. And so when you're like, it's just guns a blazing. Everybody's yelling at each other. You know, it's just the vibe of that. Yeah. I think just left like a dirty taste in my mouth and I was sure. like, I don't know if I want to get in there. Yeah, yeah. But again, it's also commercial. It's also, you know, different. It's a, it's a different beast. Yeah, it's different. And yeah. I was like, okay, okay, I'll help you out. I'll come help you out to get you guys out of the, you know, to get you through this jam. And I got there and I started working with, I met Jorge and I met everybody and, and I was like, this is pretty cool. Yeah. Like, different mindset, right? It's, it's a different mindset of a turn and burn home of frame it up, slap mud on it, drywall, get out of here. Build the next one. Yeah. And the first time that they were like, oh, here's all this very expensive wood and this has got to be perfect. I'm like, all right, that feels like what I wanted. It feels right. Like when I was a kid, I was like, yeah. you know, really nice table. Yeah. Take your time. Do it right. And it felt really good. So I was yeah. like, heck yeah, I can do this for a while. This is fun. Well, I had a question and now I can't remember it. So that's, that's super awesome. <laughs> Okay, I'm sure, it was a great question. It's, well, yeah, clearly. I mean, you said you, I mean you had a background in project management. I mean, my background in project management is self-taught. Sure, but it's basically just from like working up from being a designer to install to fabrication. You know, like you have to manage everything. I also had a lot of uh, um, when I was there, I did a lot of work as logistics for events and stuff too. Yeah, so a lot of that's just a lot of project management I just picked up along the way. Yeah. So. And I, what what are some things that um, you know maybe in in your opinion that like project managers get right, you know, and and what are some things that they get wrong? Oof. But <laughs> you know what I mean, because because you're you've kind of seen both sides of it. Mm-hmm. So I guess you know for people listening, um, I think a lot of our listeners are builders and mm-hmm. and designers, architects. But you know, 
you're the tip of the spear. Mm -hmm. You know, you're the the cutting edge. You're the one out there who's literally, you know, swinging hammers, nailing boards together. You're making it happen. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in your experience, (laughs) what have you seen on on a project management side of things that's that's most effective in order to get a job done and what's maybe not so effective? This is going to sound a little odd probably, but... I mean, there's so many good systems out there that, you know, you can like, I love Smartsheets. Mm-hmm. I've done so much with it. You know, there's all that stuff. But that's all that technical stuff of like, you know, Gantt charts and this and timelines and whatever. But in my personal opinion, the energy and approach to their leadership of the crew is vital to any situation. Meaning? Meaning like if I'm a project manager, I'm going to do my damage to be chipper, upbeat, bring a high energy with a smile on my face yeah because that's contagious yeah you don't want to talk to the project manager that's pissed off cursing every day yelling at his computer yelling at, at subcontractors and kind of, and uh, like yeah yeah that's not a guy that people will go above and beyond for he's not approachable right yeah so you know what's going to happen is that bricklayer or whatever is going to be like you know I don't want to talk to that guy I'm just going to do however I feel like doing it yeah and then it's going to get done that way and then it's not going to be the product you want right so I mean personally I feel like personal energy is like 50% of the game like yeah mm. no I mean you're right I mean even just from a employee employer type relationship yeah I mean you're right when you when you see the, the people above you you know when they, when they show up every day they're excited about what's going on they're they're they have gratitude um, and they kind of have the servants heart you know or the servant mindset um, it, it is infectious and it kind of makes you want to go, like you said, go above and beyond and, um, re- really show them, you know, w- what you're capable of doing. And, um, yeah. The second part kind of to that thing is me and my wife have talked about this at length many, many times. And it's like when you're building a team, make sure everybody on your team that you hire is smarter than you. Yeah. And as dumb as that sounds, like you can't be threatened by somebody else's ability. True. Like, that's the guy I want yeah, working yeah. for me yeah. that's better at something that I don't know how to do. Yeah. And to be like, yes, go, do it. So from a project management standpoint, if you have a team that's really yeah. kicking ass for you and you don't have to like sit there and micromanage, then that's you can true. worry about the really important stuff and know that the other things are handled. And don't yeah. be threatened by that person's ability to do better than you can actually do it. Yeah. No, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And that's one of the things that I love the most too about just it it is infectious you know when you when you meet those people who just are, are really really passionate about what they do um dude yeah correct try one of these Taylor's beer dude yeah try one give one of those tell me how it is I'm, I'm gonna polish this one off I might have I might have one of those um but yeah I mean you get exposed to a, a lot of different kinds of people with with vastly different backgrounds and it's incredibly diverse. That's that's the one thing. Is it good? It's not what I expected. Really? But it's not bad. I'm gonna try. But uh, it's and this is I can speak for the construction industry because that's mm-hmm. what I've been in the longest. But um, I mean, there's all different types of people: men, women, young, old, gay, straight. Well, that's why I think the energy and, is so important because. I've seen people that are amazing project managers that are an absolute mess, like yeah. so unorganized and blah, 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 and this, That's but true. they know they can, they're those people that can just track everything mentally. They know exactly what's happening at all times. They're super effective. Yeah. And you know, the opposite people that are so asleep to their systems that, you know, they have to do it that way. Uh-huh. But like you said, everybody's so diverse in their approach that as long as the energy is there, like you can always, but, but they, everybody about. benefits from, from that too, that collaboration, right? You know, because you, you know, I'm definitely weak in a lot of areas, uh, but I have my strengths where I'm weak. Somebody else will pick up that slack because they may be super strong in that area. Right. And so, I mean, that's, that's really a good, effective team is, is having these people with vastly different backgrounds, different, you know, upbringings, different experiences that kind of lend to that that team and to that atmosphere that you're talking about. Um, what what are some things in your experience that, that don't work? 
Hmm. Like, for example, um, okay, so like tech, technology, mm-hmm. right? There's always mm-hmm. um, there's always some new program, like right. like management software or um, you know something that I'm using right now are those QR codes. That's really cool. It's it's very useful. Um, you know, it's it's helpful to disseminate information and keep things organized. Um, so like there's, there's tools like that that come out that like, Hey, this is really cool. This is useful. It's like, what are, what are things that you've seen that, you know, get a lot of hype and people talk about, but in reality, they're just, they're not really worth the squeeze. You know? Well, I think it's not, I mean, this is kind of a general generality. Two things around that is a, don't be like jumping on a fad of some new cool software or some new cool, no Kanban software of a project management and be like, Oh, this is a new cool thing. I'm going to do that. Yeah. Oh, this is a new cool thing. I'm going to do that. This is a new cool thing. I'm going to do that. Like, you have to give this some time to really set the system up so that it, A, it works for you, or B, you can disseminate the information so other people know how to use it and work well with it too. Yeah. So, like, there's that ebb and flow of, like, oh, a cool new thing. It'd be really cool to use. You might want to give it a few years to figure out, make sure you're not using the thing you have already improperly. Sure. You know? Okay. Yeah, yeah. It depends on sense. what it is. Um, because, like I said, I love Smartsheets. I mm-hmm. turned, I've turned a couple of organizations into... It's so scalable that I and I've not been paid by Smartsheets. By the way, I would love it if they sponsored me or gave me anything I wanted from there. Yeah, I would work for that company just to answer Smartsheet questions. I like it that much. That's awesome. <laughs> but uh, but like you can do so much with it that like I turned almost an entire company's operations on Smartsheets. Huh. But it took like, everything from like Gantt charting to like you know floor management of like the guys doing the installs and stuff. But it took almost an entire year. To even get everybody on board. Yeah, yeah. So when you're trying change to change is hard. Yeah. So when you're trying new systems, like uh, change management is, you have to plan for change management. Yeah. And be prepared to really go above above and beyond to teach somebody how to use a system. When Which, if it's if it's a system you created or if it's an off the shelf system, you yeah. got to really do the work to, to get it you to be useful. Otherwise, it's not going to be. Right. You're like, man, I really love these QR codes. And you're using them, but you're not telling everybody else how you're using them or how they can use it to be useful or how to interact with it. Then yeah. it's not going to be a useful thing. But I've seen what you're using; those are really cool. Well, and it actually you brought it up. It syncs well with the smart sheets. Really? Um, I've been, I've been using these QR codes from Lista Codes, um, and you can actually you can buy a, basically they have different packages that you can buy, and you can they they send you stickers. And each sticker has a, a unique QR code on that on that sticker, and you can program it with whatever you want. You know, you have a certain amount of data that you can store, and you can program whatever you want. What's super helpful is if it's web based, and that's what Smartsheets, where it comes in handy because Smartsheets is web based. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I make a spreadsheet or put you know, some some kind of spec sheet on, on Smartsheets, I can use the URL from Smartsheets and upload it to that QR code. Mm-hmm. So when you scan the QR code, it takes you to said Smartsheet. Mm-hmm. So that, that's it syncs well. Like, like you couldn't do that with an Excel file. You can. It's just you won't be able to edit it like real time mm-hmm. as you can with Smartsheets. Right. Um, but it'll just be a file that's attached. Mm-hmm. So I, I like that, that, you know, you can put the, the QR code with the smart sheet and be able to access it and change it real time, mm-hmm. you know, as, as long as you have the internet connection. With your list of things, like one thing I was thinking about uh, the other day at work was just the amount of small parts you have when you get into chemistry and yeah. hardware. It's like all these little knobs and this and door handles and turn, and you know, all this stuff. It's like, oh, Lay a picture out. Take a picture. This is the hardware for this cabinet. Here's like a URL to like the the layout of the hardware. Yes. Yeah. It's like boom, boom, boom. You hand the contractor a box with a sticker on it. Like, yeah. Cool. I mean, you can do that, yeah, with a piece of paper. Yep. But if you're ever on a job site, pieces of paper don't stick around. They become scratch paper. They yeah, go on away. People lose them. Yeah. They get wet. <laughs> whatever. Yeah, I... I, I've been trying to I've been playing around with it and I and I like that's what I've been doing the most is is really just job site organization mm-hmm. and so what I've been doing and I'll, I'll actually I'd probably like to shoot a video because I've been talking to uh, I think it's Matt with Lista or is it Mark I can't remember but he's like one of the 
founders or owners of, of Lista, but I might shoot me a video of what I've been doing. I, I like to take, and you can do it different <clears throat> ways, but basically I just get a cardboard moving box and for each room, you take all of the cabinet hardware and put it in that moving box and take all of the bathroom hardware and put it in that moving box and door hardware, put it in there, seal it up, slap a sticker on it, you know, take pictures of everything that's in the box, put a sticker on it, and that way you know that that box goes to this room and it, ha it contains all of the hardware that you need for that room. And there's a picture of all the hardware and all the specs are attached and all the elevations are attached to that QR code. It's, it's really kind of a one-stop shop where, you know, you take a picture of that, it gives you all the information you need or, or it should be available to you to, you open the box, all the hardware's there, you have all the elevations and all the information you need to install the cabinet hardware, all the door hardware, all the, the plumbing fixtures, whatever. Mm -hmm. So, and that, and that also is to eliminate, you know, things just go missing. Right. You know, that happens all the time. Things get lost and it's mm -hmm. super frustrating. It's because it changes hands so often that, you know, you forget where you put it or, you know, well, so-and-so had it and then it's, you know, who knows where it goes. Right. So, and that's super frustrating. And, and the types of homes that we do... You know, this is a dollar door handle. This is a Home Depot <laughs> door hardware. Yeah. You know, this is five or six hundred dollars a lock set type hardware, or even more mm -hmm. in some cases. And so, for one of those things to go missing, or for a part or a piece to go missing, is super frustrating. Or when you have a custom uh, piece of cabinet hardware that has a custom finish, and it goes missing, well, you know, it might take you know ten weeks to get another another piece <laughs> of hardware. Right. You know. So it's, it's super important to, to keep all this stuff, you know, under lock and key and keep it safe and organized because, you know, it could be a big deal when this stuff goes missing. You're right. trying to finish a house and you're missing doorknobs and, and, and hardware and it's, it's, it's a nightmare. <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying to implement a new system that not only helpful on the project management side of things because you know where everything's at and there's documentation, there's pictures of it, mm -hmm. but all the trades also know that everything that they need is going to be contained in this area and, and it's all, it's all there. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, that was a long rant. <laughs> you asked about systems. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I brought it on myself. Well, enough about all that. Tell me, what do you do in your, in your personal time? What do you do for fun? Uh, <laughs> well, for fun, uh, right during COVID, I picked up pro wrestling. How in the world? <laughs> How did you get into that? How did you get into wrestling? Well, I think I mentioned earlier, my wife and I met <clears throat> playing roller derby. Okay. So in Portland, I was a director at a museum, but the age gap was really significant between my peers. Huh. So like, and everybody, I was in charge of a lot of people, and all my peers were way older than me, so I felt like I didn't have really a social outlet at work. Okay. You know? So I was like, you know, I was looking for something. So I was like, either I'm going to start fighting at an MMA gym to get the steam out or <laughs> something physical. Yeah. Uh, and then I went to a roller derby match in Portland and there was this gruff dude and he's like, join men, men's roller derby. I'm like, what? There's men that do this sport? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, we have a men's team, blah, blah, blah. I was like, well, do I get to hit people? And he's like, yeah, we drink beer. He's like, I'll be there on Sunday. Salt. I'm yeah. <laughs> So I ended up playing for uh, Bridgetown Roller Derby from Portland for a bunch of years, a handful of years. Yeah. And I ended up playing roller derby uh, internationally for like eight years. So I traveled to Wales and Mexico. I made no Team kidding. Mexico, uh, Team Mexico for the Roller Derby World Cup. Dude, that's um, awesome. But it was a lot and a lot of travel, and a lot the, of money. The Roller Derby World Cup. Yep. Did you win? Uh, I got COVIDed. <laughs> <laughs> so. That was going to be my last season. It was like my eighth year because um, I'd finally gotten to be decent enough. I felt like, uh, like it was going to be my, my – I was going to go out on top. Yeah, yeah. That last year, the Austin men's team, which I was the president of at the time, um, we were going to host the playoffs for the, World, for the Men's Roller Derby Association. We were going to host playoffs for mm -hmm. North America here. Uh -huh. uh, so that was happening in Austin. Our team was in that playoff. My Austin team, and then um, I was gonna try. I tried out for Team Mexico. Um, I just decided to not do Team America. I knew all those guys, so it was just a new experience. I wanted to go do Team Mexico. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
and it's the same rules as like uh, 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 I think it's I think it's how they do the Olympics where uh, generationally you, or your grandparent has to have been from that country to be able to play for that country. Oh, so you have okay. to have a close enough lineage. Like you can't be like I have a half uncle once sure. that went to Mexico. Right, <laughs> I got you. Uh, so I was close enough that I could I could apply. Okay, and so I made it, and I was getting ready to play, and then COVID hit, and I was like, man, my last cool year got torpedoed so yeah. after that like covid was happening yeah and after it kind of started to like you know calm down because everything just stopped right right including yeah. roller derby uh i was at like a roller derby party when people were finally able to come back together and there was this guy like at a bonfire and drinking a bottle of whiskey <laughs> <laughs> and i sat down and we were talking he's like blah 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 yeah, yeah yeah he's like oh yeah i'm starting a wrestling promotion i'm like what what he like he started talking to me, and then I started to realize I'd seen this guy as a wrestler at uh, Party World Wrestling here in Austin, which is kind of a local thing. Yeah. Uh, they do it up at the breweries, um, and he's Dad Bod from Party World Wrestling. Like that's his wrestling. That's his wrestling persona. It's Dad Bod. Dad Bod. Nice. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, well, we got to talking, and you're like, I was like, this sounds kind of cool. So I started going with a bunch of CrossFit friends because I had some CrossFit friends that were really into wrestling. Yeah, yeah. And so I took like, there was five of us that started going to these practices just to see what was up. Yeah, yeah. And it was just a situation like where I was being the nice guy. I was like, I have friends that like this. I met this dude that has this. I'm going to try to pull these people together and see if something cool happens. So I was just like being, you know, the, the, the lubrication of the wheel and like going to practices so nobody would go alone. But it's just slowly, all my friends started kind of flaking out and one wouldn't come one week. And I was like, I've been coming to all these practices. I'm at least going to try this, right? Right, right, right. So I, I, did, a, I did a match, and uh, yeah, it's super addicting. Yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. How long have you been doing that? This, I'm, oh, I've been almost doing it two years now at this point. Oh, um, dang. I did, um, I did it wrong. I did it totally backwards. Oh, how so? Because you're supposed to learn how to wrestle and then oh. actually be paid as a wrestler. Is it actual wrestling? It's real wrestling, man. Is it? Okay. Pro wrestling, like okay. WWE stuff. Really? Yeah, that stuff hurts. I've never bought into that. My elbows in pain right now. My back hurts. And well, that's because you're old. That's too. <laughs> I picked up this sport at 40 years old. So. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but I went to school with. Uh, I just got done finishing Rhodes Wrestling Academy, which is in Leander. Uh, okay. Dustin Rhodes is uh, used to be Gold Dust. No, none. I'm not a, a no, no, no. wrestling guy. Sorry. His dad was uh, Dusty Rhodes from back in the day. Okay. So there's actually legendary families of wrestling here in Austin. <laughs> Dusty Rhodes, mm-hmm. Gold Dust. Mm-hmm. I know like Goldberg and, you know. He wrestled Goldberg. Did he? Yeah, same era. I mean, yeah. Dustin Rhodes has been around for like 30-some years, maybe you think closer to 40. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. You, I mean, is it, is it based just here in Austin, though? That this his, his wrestling school is up in Leander. Well, the so you wrestle? Mm. Do you travel? The wrestling? Oh, yeah. um, I mean, we're basically like independent contractors, right? You okay. A, um, I basically, for the most part, wrestle with Slam Portal here in Austin, which we got a, an event on the twenty seventh here at the Central Machine Works. Nice. Uh, but I'm also starting to get branched out, and I have to go to San Antonio to wrestle. Okay. Um, but yeah, some of the guys travel all over the United States and wrestle all over the Dude, place. Dude, I'd love to go to one. You said it's where on the twenty seventh? Uh, Central Machine Works. Central Machine Works. It's on East Side, uh, East Chavez. It's uh, it's way over there. Okay. Um, I don't spend a whole lot of time on the. Yeah. I'm I'm on the opposite <clears throat> side. It's funny. It was actually one of the buildings me and my wife were looking at when we first moved here. Because <laughs> oh, <really? laughs> it was an old derelict warehouse. I was like, oh, this is perfect. Perfect. And now it's a brewery with it's probably multi millions of dollars. I'm like, of man, course. if I could have just scraped up the cash back then. <laughs> yeah, been you, buddy. <laughs> but you're are you the bad guy? I'm a bad guy, yeah. You're a bad guy. Mm-hmm. So there's like good bad, good guys and bad guys in wrestling? There's good and bad guys in life. Well, okay. <laughs> it just seems, I don't know, because I've never really been into wrestling. It just seems like it's more acting and theatrics than it is like actual wrestling. I don't mean to like put put that, you know, <laughs> put you down or anything. It's just, it's just what it seems like. Oh, I hurt, but you know, whatever. <laughs> just bury your feelings. Deep down. I'll just drink this Danny Trejo cerveza. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to of those. <laughs> uh, well, JJ, it's been awesome. Um, you're 
have an amazing background. Um, weird, if anything. It is weird. It's extremely weird. Mm-hmm. But it's super cool. It's mm-hmm. awesome. Uh, and, I, and I loved hearing about it. Um, so I look, I look forward to, you know, working with you on, on the next project mm-hmm. and, um, yeah, man, just, just keep doing what you're doing. I'll try to not mess that much stuff up, <laughs> but I can't make fun of it. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on, buddy. Thanks,